0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Philosophy, a production of the Counseling Center in Portsmouth, Ohio. I am Senior Director Max Lyles. Joined today with two very special guests. We've got Nurse Practitioner Larry Carter. Welcome. Thank you. And Pharmacist Andy Pierron.
1: Thanks for having Fellas, me. I
0: appreciate you guys being here. Appreciate you um, being here. Episode content for today, we're going to talk about um, medication-assisted treatment, what that looks like, as far as the drugs that are used, the other inter- interventions that go along with it, our philosophy as far as how uh, those things are incorporated at the counseling center. But first, always like to qualify our guests. So whoever wants to start first, you're you're, you're going to the pharmacist first. Andy, give us like a <laughs> give us like the bio of of what all you've done, what you're doing now, sort of how. Uh, how you wound up in front of the camera here today as the, as the pharmacy expert, man. Give it to us. So
1: about 20 years ago, I started doing pharmacy, uh, retail pharmacy in this area. Okay. Of course, I've witnessed the pill mill crisis. You know, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion uh, over 20 years. Um, as I got a little bit bored in pharmacy, I started doing disease state management. And what I started seeing when that was happening uh, just going into businesses and trying to help people improve okay. their health okay. then i started seeing how other addictions played into it and uh in the same time i started looking around at you know just how when someone is addicted how they just kind of go from one substance to another yeah. like i get someone to lose weight but they're smoking more I get someone to stop smoking and they're getting more weight <laughs> in the meantime yeah. this opiate crisis yeah. keeps going on yeah um you know, just been around the towns, been around the bars and seeing how, you know, when you turn 40 years old, you start seeing how alcohol starts affecting people's lives. So that yeah. was just all kind of coming together yeah. at a time when uh, the counseling center was growing. Yeah. Uh, so it just became kind of a natural integration sure. over time. So, yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. So then tell us a little bit about what you're doing now in the field. So what I do mostly right now is I, I still do a little bit of immunizations and work with the companies a little bit just to, yeah. Uh, uh, provide a value-added service back to our community a little right. bit. But mostly what I'm working with is just what well, we're going to talk about today, about yeah. you know just learning what the different uh, options are as far as MAT. Yeah. I mean, I think most people think of MAT as methadone or suboxone. Right. And, and of course, there's pros and cons to that for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, yeah. But there are other options as well. And I yeah. try, try to teach people those other options and where they may fit in their recovery. Yeah. So. Yeah. I got you, man. Yep. Cool. Hey, well,
0: thanks for coming, man. Absolutely glad to have you here and all your experience. Larry, same thing, man. Give us a little bio, of how sure. you wound up here today.
2: Well, let's go back to 2000 when I
0: joined the military.
2: Okay. did uh, six years in the military and um, did an over- overseas deployment, so okay. I got to see the world. Uh, when I got out of the military, I came back home and... Uh, got into law enforcement became okay. a deputy sheriff and that was back in 2006 wow. at the height of, of the pill mills and then there I had no clue that's awesome mm-hmm. so i did that for several years and, and unfortunately i got to see some of the darkest areas of our our county yeah. and uh, how the the drug addictions were, were crippling us families mm-hmm. torn apart for yeah. for for nothing so, um, so I decided in 2009 that uh, just needed to do something different. So I went back to nursing
0: school. God, talk about doing something yeah, different. That's, that's like <laughs> <totally laughs> sure. yeah, sure right. Being a nurse practitioner, yeah. gosh, um, you're like all in now yeah, with yeah. both feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: so during school, I got into the, some of the mental health classes, okay. and, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, so whenever I got done with school, um, I knew I wanted to go on and be a nurse practitioner. Right. Through that time, um, so one when, when I graduated nurse First practice in our school I um, took a job with the Department of Veterans Affairs okay you know to help veterans out yeah and uh, I got to do a lot there um, and then here back in September of last year I got an opportunity to uh, to really come back into our community yeah. and help help our community heal from right. from the opioid crisis yeah. that's how I landed here yeah
0: um, what was your, wh- anything you'd learned that's uh, been like, uh, you know, something that's like defined kind of your practice since transferring over and getting to work with veterans or whatever, man, that's a, that's a, that's a, I didn't know about that transition. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing that I, I kind of knew going into working with veterans was going to be mental health because
2: sure. uh, as a veteran myself, I, I knew that th- that's a huge thing. You yeah. know, we're losing 22 veterans a day to suicide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just kind of picked up from that and then brought that over with me here yeah. to TC see and and i it's every patient i see is hey you know how how's your mental health Let, right let's
0: work on things talk yeah. to me so yeah that's what's up man yeah. no that's awesome dude well hey definitely two experts right i don't lots know of we'll uh, lots of different lots of different experiences, lots experiences in the room. Yeah. yeah lots of different life experiences in the room and then you guys got me so good luck <laughs> Uh, next thing I wanted to talk about was you had mentioned when people think about MAT, it's normally just those hot topic drugs that people think about methadone and suboxone. So first let's talk about like what those drugs are and then how sort of, uh, they can be used and then sprinkling some of the other things maybe that people don't think of when they think about, um, medication assisted treatment.
2: Yeah. So, um, Early on, we we have methadone. That was the, right. bi- the big thing for many years. Um, the problem with methadone, though, was it was you you needed daily dosing, yeah. and, and there wasn't the uh, the naltrexone binder in it mm-hmm. to to keep it from um, being misused. Unfortunately, yeah. Um. So so when when we started seeing more of the MATs coming up, yeah. You know, we, we're we're seeing uh, the Suboxone, Zubsolve is the generic that we use here, sure. and. Um, it's very helpful because it's got that binder to it that allows, um, the medication to be dosed a longer period. Um, you know, we can do a week at a time instead of having somebody come in daily. So that's the first big step. And now
0: I I think even too, like, you know, methadone is one of those things of like, um, it it is certainly an option for treatment, right. Mm -hmm. But it does have like its own barriers, right. With the way that it's regulated Mm -hmm. you got to show up to the place every day to take the medication. Like that's a barrier in and of itself. Right. (laughs) And, And with that, at, um, that leaves us more
2: time uh, for for some of the the group and individual counseling mm-hmm. for for somebody that's in recovery because you're not going to the to the health clinic every day. Yeah, you can yeah, use yeah. that other five and a half days of the week, right. In order to get some of the health yeah,
0: clinic. yeah, that's uh, and then talk about from like a from a pharmacological standpoint of like. When you say methadone, how does that work as far as, like, I take the drug and then
1: sort of what happens so within it, the patient? So, as you were talking before we started, um, so methadone is a pure agonist, right, uh-huh. with high affinity for the receptor site. Yeah, so, so pure it binds, agonist means that it's just the partial opioid It's an opioid. Well, it's an opioid. Yeah, exactly, okay. right, right, with high affinity to the receptor site. Okay. So, that means it's long-acting. I got you. So, that's where you it's used because you don't get the, the highs and lows is it creates a craving, Mm -hmm. so that's where it fits. Um, Suboxone, as you were talking about, is a partial agonist antagonist. That gets confusing Sure. uh, because really it kind of depends on the product and whether it has more of an agonist effect or an antagonist effect as to where it fits in therapy. Uh, suboxone, I think, you know, is probably the best known agonist antagonist, sure. in which it takes away the craving. And that uh, means
0: that it's got the opioid, partial opioid, and then a blocker. It does, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, and that's where, like, and they're seeing it now, where people are coming in on fentanyl, and you you give them suboxone, it's going to throw them into withdrawal. Yeah, precisely, Exactly, right? yeah. because it's not, you know, so. Um, and then to titrate, that becomes very hard. Right. And then a naltrexone is a pure antagonist, in which all okay. it's doing is blocking. So yeah. I always explain and naltrexone is kind of the brother of Narcan. Everybody knows what Narcan okay. is, right? Yeah, that's good is just good yeah, uh, Narcan is just the little brother that's real quick, gets the receptor site real quick, knocks yeah. off the opiate. But what's it do? It goes away real quick, so you have to narc them again. Right. Um, naltrexone, just think of it as a big, heavy step brother, gets there real slow, attaches the receptor site, <laughs> a little bit harder to knock off, so oh, it's longer you. acting. I yeah, got you. But okay. they both do the same thing. Okay. Right, right.
0: All yeah. right. Um, so then we've got your, so then we kind of outline that, like your agonist drugs, full on opioids or partial opioids, then agonist antagonist drugs being things that are a little bit of both and then full antagonist drugs that are blockers only, right? Yes. Yep. Right. So then one of the things too that you hear about with uh, Suboxone and being like a partial of both is that like the abuse potential is lower, right? Yes. Is one of the things that you hear about that. Um, I don't necessarily know how much that's true, rather than like, then I just believe that the way that it can be like prescribed and monitored and looked at uh, and used and like coupled with treatment are the things that really take that abuse potential down lower. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah part of the. Um
2: the thing that um, lowers the abuse potential of that mm-hmm. is the Narcan element in it. Um, now, it can still be misused, right. meaning um, you know somebody may find it uh, elsewhere, not sure. prescribed, absolutely in order diverted. To, I believe is diverted, the term. Diverted. Just, diverted am absolutely. I doing that right? Yeah. pharmacist? That is right. And, yeah. and, and, and use that to help um, with, with those withdrawal symptoms because yeah. that's essentially what it's doing is helping to reduce the amount of symptoms you're having. Right. So some yeah. misuse is there. Um, Less chance of abuse, though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that the way I always describe those drugs that are either full agonist or, like, partial is that it's like fire. Like, fire in your fireplace has a lot of positive potential, right? Like, I can heat my house when it's cold. It can give me light. It can, like, keep the house warm, cook food on it fire's a great thing, right? right. Yeah. If I take fire out of the fireplace, what <laughs>
2: happens? It's no blame.
0: I burn my house down. Right. It's like, that's the, that's an analogy. It's like, it's a, you were talking about the different tools, right. right. And yes. the way that those things Definitely. can be used. But that's always been my analogy with those, with the MAT drugs that are used is that no drug is without a risk potential. Right. right. And so that, what th- that's what like, you know, this conversation will get, we'll get to that. But it's like, the people that are utilizing these drugs in, in conjunction with therapies, we're trying to mitigate that risk to have the maximum potential exactly. for the client.
1: Right, right. And one of the, faci- the things that I truly find fascinating about that and in, in walking that line is the, the component of self-prescribing. Yes, You know what I mean? Yeah. So you end up with the person that just starts self-prescribing, right? Yes. But then yes. you also, and, the, and you know from working in this industry, it becomes harder when the person has gotten a legitimate mm-hmm. medical condition for which they've been prescribed that. Yes, I spent hours on the phone this week earlier in the week with a guy out of Michigan mm-hmm. who is he thinks ketamine is the solution to his 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 problem right <laughs>
0: That's not. A, <laughs> that's not medically. You know, it's not a nasal know, spray. But you know, and,
1: but you know but that you
0: need to put me in a hole. But he's already man. made
1: that decision. You know he's already oh, self medicating gotcha. for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And that that really is the line that gets drawn there. When you talk about the fire in and out of the fireplace, yeah. As long as it's in the fireplace, it's great. But as soon as you start manipulating your thought process and utilizing well, how you're what, taking it out of the fireplace, and, and I think that's right. one of those. Right.
0: Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a phenomenon or just a symptom of working with the substance use disorder population is. Despite the fact that when we come to treatment for help, that our life might be in shambles at that point in time, right. I still believe that I know what's best that's for exactly me. exactly right. right. And that's
1: exactly what this is doing. The that's other right. The
0: other side yeah. of that coin is from a clinical perspective the the addicted person is the expert in their own life. Yeah. But the plan needs to be created with a professional sure. from the outside yes. looking in, right? It's yes. that it's that old uh 12 step philosophy of the same brain that you thought yourself into the problem with is not gonna think you out of the problem. Yeah, right. So right. While, while it's important for a person to have some say so about what you're willing to do and what you're not That's willing right. to do and those kind of things. Well said. I think it's always uh, I think it's always important to consider like the the professional's input into that scenario, right? Right.
2: Yeah. right. And, and, and that's part of our first initial visit with them. Good. When they come into us, you know, we we talk, hey, how's your life now? Tell me yeah. what's going on. And uh,
1: that's a loaded question, yeah. you know
2: what I mean? Well, <laughs> and, and, and that's the best way how to, much time? to <laughs> open yeah. things up. Um, <laughs> but part of that is hey, you know, this is this is what we can do for you, and this mm-hmm. is how it helps, and this is yeah. why we do it this way. Yeah, and that kind of helps them get into that mode of hey time to, to, take a step back and let, let the treatment work. Yeah, right. we're assisting them medically sure. assisted treatment yeah. and, and that's our whole goal is yeah. to help them out. And so. that's
0: the other thing too, um, to get into that philosophy of, you know, it's, it's medically assisted treatment, medication assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, uh, it's the use of certain medications in conjunction with other therapies and clinical interventions that are like leading that whole process. Right. Right. So you were talking about an analogy that you sure. like to, to do that and talking about the different tools. Give mm-hmm. us that one again. Yeah, so
2: w- we got to think of recovery as you building a birdhouse. Okay, okay? Um, you can go into building a birdhouse with nothing. Go out into the woods, find what you need. You might build a birdhouse. You might not. Yeah, you know, depends on how um, you, yeah, you yeah. might be successful. Sure. Uh, might take you months. Might take you years. Might never happen. Mm-hmm. However, if you've already got the wood in place, right. and then you bring in a hammer, right. It's going to make it a little bit easier. Uh, you may not get it built. You know, just a hammer, you know, you, you would have to find something to, to, to nail it down with. Um, but that's when you bring in the, the nails. That's another tool. Mm-hmm. So with hammer, nails, and wood that's pre-cut, your, your birdhouse is built. Right. I mean, it, it's easier to do it that way. And that's how we look at recovery. You've got medication, you know, mm-hmm. your hammer, mm-hmm. and then you've got nails, the treatment, the counseling, the group, the the individual treatments. Sure. And and That is just the easiest, most
1: straightforward way to build a burn house. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, In man. In an analogy, yeah, you do, if, but you don't use a sledgehammer.
0: Right, uh, exactly. you got to use appropriate tools, right.
1: right? You have to use appropriate tools right. for what a person's got going on. Exactly. You, know, you, might,
2: you might, not, not, might not need a nail gun.
0: A hammer <laughs> will work. Yeah, yeah, you might not need yeah. a high-powered nail gun. I
2: got it, man. I yeah. got yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Um, so, then to, to, so then that kind of leads us into the way that we use medications here, the way that we interject those clinical interventions into things. Talk a little bit about the phenomenon of sort of what we're trying to avoid with, like, the symptoms of early sobriety. So I go into my first meeting with Larry. He said, hey, man, how's your life? And I totally just unload on him, right? Right, right. Right? And so you're going to hear a big list of problems, right? Right. And in the United States of America, we love to prescribe a medication for a problem, right? Talk about that phenomenon of, hey, doc, I need this for that, and now I
1: need that for this. Talk, so about, you, talk the, about what you've seen play prescribing out. cascade, yeah, absolutely. Like yes. to, refer to yes. It. yes, yes. Yeah, you go into the doctor and you're like, you know, doc, I'm, you know, really having a hard time sleeping, as you're talking about. Boy, and Ed, boy, you, do I. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so you prescribe something <laughs> for that. Well, the next thing you say is, you know, I'm really feeling sluggish for the day. In so, the morning, I'm waking so, up, you know something for that. And now, uh-huh. you know, in the afternoon, I'm really starting to get, you know, some anxiety. Is there any get- something I can take for that? Sure. So you prescribe something for that. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon you're working your way back, right back into where you were uh, with medication, you know, mm-hmm. and usually what I tell people is like, you can go out and relapse, you can go do this prescribing cascade, which I would... I'd be a little bit more favorable if I saw favorable outcomes. Sure. But you just don't see the favorable outcome. You follow that person for five, ten years. Right. And they either relapse or their other medical conditions have worsened. Yeah. Um the majority of the time. Now you always have these outliers right. when you yeah. start doing the bell curve. Well, there's some people that but, can build a house without the tools. Right. right. There's yeah. Some yeah. that can't well, build a birdhouse point, point, right. point. Yeah, yeah. But uh for the most part what you're gonna see is Poor outcomes over a five, 10 year period of time if you right. don't continue to work in a way that progresses in a healthier lifestyle. Right, yeah. right.
0: Yeah. So, then to avoid that from the prescriber side of things, what are some sort of like strategies we're trying to do if I'm a person that presents at the admission center and i have a high risk for withdrawal potential and i'm looking at getting managed either like in a uh, you know at the withdrawal management facility or if i'm looking to manage the uh, that detox stage in an outpatient basis or whatever what does that sort of like look like from the start of things to then how it progresses walk us through that Right,
2: low slow and as needed that's Low, my philosophy. slow, and as needed. It's exactly. a great so, philosophy. So yeah. there, are, there are certain medications that we have in, in our protocols that mm-hmm. they can have as an as-needed basis. Mm-hmm. you start having an upset stomach, we can give them some medication for that. Sure. Mental health medications, unless they've got a bona fide history mm-hmm. where they've been treated before they came to us, we, we like to avoid those, especially in the very beginning, because drug use, it, it affects our, our pathways in our brain. Yeah. And... What we find a lot of times is once we get started on the, the treatment,
0: mm-hmm. those
2: those mental health uh, symptoms start falling down.
0: Well, a lot of those complaints are what, what we like to call symptoms of early sobriety. Yes. Like right. an inability right. to get a good night's sleep exactly. is one of those symptoms of early sobriety, right? And, right. That's, and, and it's one of those unfortunate things with the nature of drugs these days. It's, it's sort of hard when you have a person, say, that's been using uh, narcotic drugs on the street. You know, there's not really a process to, you know, you don't know what you're taking all the time. A psychotic episode and a in a meth induced mm-hmm. psychotic episode. You're gonna right. need some time to untangle that stuff, right? right. Low, slow, and as needed. Right. I'm gonna right. steal yeah. that. Maybe yeah. put on a shirt, hit I the like guys it. up at the lab. The lab. Yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> one of the things we're really fighting right now is that. You, you can make that look like a bipolar disorder, right? right. And we only have patients for ninety days inpatient, yeah. and really it takes that long to kind of get we to have a point
0: days to, six months, to where you can way. see, okay,
1: yeah. was this an underlying condition or was this a symptom of their use? Yeah, and you just don't really. So the low, yeah, slow is really good because you don't, you know, first do no harm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We really want to take it so that we're not pre, you know, pre. Um, pre-diagnosing conditions that were really part of the drug use.
0: Sure. I know in talking to another nurse practitioner one time about just um, diagnosing and prescribing and those kind of patterns. And then, and then, you know, kind of that phenomenon when everybody kind of can wind up on the same medication with the same diagnosis. Yeah, kind of deal. Right. It's one of those right, things of like, right. how did that happen? And, the uh, the talking to another nurse practitioner, they told me, they said, well, you don't necessarily have a medication problem. You have a diagnosis problem that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just pin that on someone after meeting with them one time, that's a diagnosis. Cause, cause diagnosing is, is the same way, low, slow. Right. Exactly. So like start with your minimal things and then move forward as you get to know someone, yeah. Better, and that I think.
1: methamphetamine. I can go back into my 1992 pharmacology book, yeah. and read to you the symptoms of abuse, right. of Cocaine and methamphetamine, right. and psychosis, yeah. um, uh, cataloging you know, that mm-hmm. suspi- that pleasurable suspiciousness. Uh-huh. And it's really hard to slow our clients down because they're having all those symptoms. Oh, yeah, to say, Look, this is a symptom of that condition because right. yeah. they're, yeah they're taking notes and they got it figured out right that's I, have a plan for, I have a
0: plan for my life you know what I, mean? I have a plan for
2: my own right, life right, and, right. and luckily the way our, our treatment program works though you know we have an inpatient stay 90 days but then a lot of the times we get them into transitional housing yes. so we can have time with that patient for up to you know a year right so you know we start seeing six months right eight months down the road yep. they're coming in they're saying larry Man, I'm sleeping great. I don't think I need that medicine anymore mm-hmm. that you gave me in the beginning. I said, "Okay, well, let's take that off." Yeah. They come in next time. Hey, I'm doing really good. I, you know, I, I got my court cases settled, for example, yep. and, and my anxiety's gone now. Yep. Okay, l- let's take away that that as need of medication then. Yep. And, and and by the time they get through uh, graduating through the transitional program, some of them are, are without
0: yeah. medication. Yeah, they're just receiving primary health care. Exactly. Those kind of things. Yeah, I um. And that's the other part, too, you know, this whole idea that, well, we need we need patients, we need clients, and that's what okay. makes the business go around. Our goal is not to create a lifetime patient. Exactly. We want to create a one-year patient. Exactly. And we want to take that person from super high potential for withdrawal and walk them all the way through to taking as few medications per day mm-hmm. as possible. Because the other part about that stuff is, is taking all those medications – I have to manage that as the yeah. person taking them. And then that creates another barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like one of those things we were talking about, like with uh, methadone, like the barrier of having to get there every day. Well, then it's um, a barrier with mental health medication. And a number of those is that I got to get them refilled all the time, that I got to remember to take them every day, that I got to hope that I'm at a point where I can manage that. Right? Yeah, it's
1: my insurance. It's something I'm with my insurance yeah. is not covered. It's yeah. not. Now what do I do? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot, really lot of things that's uh,
0: that's... Um, that's sort of uh, a a responsible use of those things, back to the fire analogy, right? And, and,
2: and, And even more... We're giving them tools for their toolbox during that time, not just medications. Medications are just part of it, right. as you know. You know, we're we're doing coping skills. We're mm-hmm. doing uh, deep breathing exercises, teaching them how to to take a step back and realize, hey, you know, let me look at this picture from a different perspective, and maybe maybe I don't need to get as worried about it. Right. Things like that. And 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 during that transitional period is is when we can take that opportunity to right. do that.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, And then, like, through those things, in addition, because, like, while every person is getting, seeing a prescriber, taking medications that they need on a low, slow, and as-needed basis, Mm -hmm. right, they're also involved in a treatment program. Correct. So that can be everything to, like, you know, 30-plus hours of services a week in residential Mm -hmm. treatment. All the way down to I'm um, stabilized and I'm doing mental health therapy mm-hmm. once every other week with a with a licensed therapist or whatever, right? On top of things like job training
2: yeah. that we offer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're just trying to set them up for when they leave our services, they're going to be successful.
1: Right. It's amazing how important that structure is. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, if you try to wean somebody off Suboxone on an outpatient scale, mm-hmm. your success rate is ridiculously low, almost mm-hmm. to the point where you have to question whether it's even realistic or something you should be well because then you
0: get into that do no harm is the person just right. safer with the yeah long that's right term that's right. Dose, right you take
1: that same patient and you put them in the structure of housing mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you know the majority of the time we don't have problems yeah it, it changes that dramatically based yeah. on their surroundings yeah. it's incredible and
0: then talk about that sort of timeline of what the, what that can look like on an individual basis short of like Quick, dirty, in a hurry taper to, like, how long we're able to work with somebody to, like, manage those things through the various medications. And,
2: and, and it all go back, goes back to that initial appointment. Mm-hmm. Where are you? Tell me about your use history. Mm-hmm. You know, you've only been using for less than a year. Okay. Okay, you may not need that, that heavy Taper, right. okay? So we would look at that different from somebody that uses five grams of, of fentanyl a day yeah. when they're coming into it. Sure. Because th- that's a lot. That's right. that's a tough treatment. So, so initially we try to get them um, from point A to point B in a matter of six to eight weeks. Okay. okay? Our goal is abstinence- um, Based treatment, Sure. Uh, meaning we try to get them down off the Suboxone uh-huh. and, and into that point where we can give them Vivitrol. Right. Okay. Vivitrol for opioids. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, other options for um, methamphetamine abuse or cocaine abuse, sure. campersate. Um, and, and Andy will be able to speak a little bit more on some of the different treatments. Sure. But that's our goal.
0: Yeah. Uh, six to eight weeks during that. First 90 days. And that's when I'm We're looking Vivitrol. at using those like agonist or partial agonist Correct. antagonist drugs, right? But then the use of Vivitrol can go on for. As long as we need, need, it. need it.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So as long as the patient feels like they're benefiting from having the blocker on board mm-hmm. in that, conjunction well, with Well, but effect. that's
1: where I try to be careful because okay. you're right on the first part. The National Institute of Health says longer someone takes it, better chance they have a lifelong sobriety. Okay. But if that person had a heart condition, we wouldn't say, hey, you know, um, take, you know, just let us know when you want to stop taking that, would we? <laughs> yeah, you're no, absolutely right. No, you know, that person would come to you and say, how do you feel about me going off of that blood pressure medication? Right, yeah. And we would do some other things to see if that would be appropriate. Sure. Okay. Vivitrol should be the same way, and okay. what's happening routinely is that people kind of take that on their own shoulders. So what so, you're talking about is the same
0: phenomenon of the person comes in and they have a plan for their life.
1: Yes, the, that's the, right.
0: To change the plan that I'm not going to take my Vivitrol anymore, that that's something you would hope from the from the pharmacy side that they would be talking with their provider. That's about. right. Okay.
1: And plant that seed. Yeah. You need to be asking about this, not just decide. Hey, this month I got a lot going on. I don't think I'll go for what that shot. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, right. I know right. what I need. right. Because now you can see it. That's where they. That start yeah. to transition back into controlling
2: yeah. things that they probably shouldn't be controlling yeah. at that point. Yeah, absolutely. But to kind of go back on, on, on your question, there is no, in my eyes, there is no upper limit of the amount of time we can do it. Okay. Okay. Um, you monitor things like liver function and, and health of the individual. Yeah. But if we need to do Vivitrol indefinitely, we're going to do Vivitrol indefinitely. Sure. So yeah. Just one of those things that you want to
0: have some input with. Exactly. Right. I got you.